a nice ride so far. We've almost finished finished the first chapter. It's been two and a half months, and uh, we've only almost finished the first chapter. There's six chapters altogether, but it's not about covering ground. It's about getting the wisdom inside, right? It's not. It's about. We've always been a people of quality over quantity. How do I know that? Well, look how many Jews there are in the world. Not so many. How many do they think they are? Right? When you ask people how many Jews do you think there are in the world, they'll say, oh, I think, you know, probably a billion or something on those lines. Well, we're very small in number, but much bigger in impact. A light to the nations is like being a small little candle that's very small, that has a big impact. We've always been with that philosophy that quality is much more important than quantity. There are some rabbis that I know that would spend most of their life studying one Talmud. There's a famous uh, book on Shabbat called Shmirat Shabbat Kilchato, which was written by a big rabbi that used to live in the old city of Neubat. He passed away about five years ago. And that rabbi uh, went through the Holocaust and the only book he had was the book of Shabbat. That was the only Talmud he had. And he spent countless of hours on boats, um, going from one place to the other, trying to survive. And all they had was a book of Shabbat. And, but because he only had that, he only studied that and he studied it inside out. And so well that he wrote one of the most well used books on the topic of Shabbat today. So, you know, his legacy was carried even after he passed away and his greatness was carried because he, he said, I'll do one thing properly. He was forced to do it that way, but it teaches you something, you know, it's sometimes we try and grasp too much and then we have nothing. It says, if you try and grab too much, you have nothing. Sometimes it's easier to go, you know, you're loading your truck or your car and you're moving. It's easier sometimes to go back and forth many more times and not carry as heavy a weight. And then your, your back doesn't hurt and you actually do the job and you're fine. As opposed to overloading and then really doing nothing. You're so tired, you end up not even loading the truck because you injured your back. You know, that's, that's the idea. You try to grab too much and then you end up doing zero. Don't try and grab too much. And then it's a fine balance and it's a discussion because, you know, sometimes that could mean that people will do nothing. But it's those that have too much in their mind, then they end up getting to do nothing. And it's those that are able to know they have a lot to do, but they're able to focus on each thing. In Arabic, they'll say, shwaya, shwaya, slowly, slowly. They, they say that in Talmudical language too. And uh, it's, it's true. One thing at a time focused is much more powerful. Quality over quantity has always been a Jewish philosophy. Uh, and it's important. Anyway, so here's the question. If you want to live in a healthy society, right, uh, there's certain things you can't impose you can't, imp you know, there's, there's, people are talking about the smash and grabs that are going on. I have, there's a rabbi I know who was in San Francisco and his, someone smashed into his rental car and uh, they stole his tefillin, his bag of tefillin. So that's kind of a loss for the guy that owns it. But for the one that steals it, he's like, hello, what's this? Oh, maybe there's gold inside. Cracks it open. He sees like these parchments. He's like, what, what the heck's going on? Oh, oh yeah. He's Jewish. Oh, maybe I should put tefillin on. So, uh, you know, there's a friend of mine that his tefillin was, uh, was stolen and smashed into his car. He just parked his car, smashed into, they stole his. But there is a lot of stealing and theft. As much as we, it's important to have a court system and to stop theft. But at the end of the day, if it's not a value that's educated from a young age in the system, it can't necessarily be imposed. We'll, we'll have a law enforcement system, but it goes a certain way. It goes to a limit, maybe let's say to 90%. At the end of the day, crime is still done, even if we have a law enforcement system. And the reason is, is because it needs to be a value. So for instance, somebody will tell me, is anyone cold here, by the way? Yeah. Okay. Because both doors are open, maybe there's a crosswind. But someone, someone could tell me that um, one day 
I would want, this is just an example, so don't get upset with me. One day, I would like to have Shabbat with my kids. So what do I tell that person? Well, are you doing Shabbat now? He says, no, but when I have kids, I would like to do it. That sounds to me like imposing on your child, meaning I don't do it now, and I'm only planning to do it because I think it's going to make more sense when my child comes to be, that this is a value that we need to have. Well, values are not going to work if you impose them. You can't just tell your kid, okay, kids, we're suddenly uh, going to keep Shabbat now. Obviously, if, if that's all you know, and that's, then you can try, but it's much harder. The best way to make something work is if it's a value in the system. Charity, let's say. You can't impose charity on the people. You can't say, okay, everyone, you have to give charity. Or what they would say, you have to give half of your money to taxes if you earn a certain amount of money and everything else. Charity can't be an imposed. We could try, but to a certain limit. If it's not a value in our system, if it's not ingrained in the child from a young age, it's not really, people are going to try and take advantage of whatever money they're making. You know, people get upset with capitalism. So they say, okay, we should be more on the other extreme. You know, let's be more um, stronger with socialism, right? Not communism. Let's be stronger with socialism. But what's the extreme? Both sides can be a problem. Because unless we, you can't impose people to give money. It has to be a value that's in the child from a young age. It has to be in the system. Or for instance, there's certain cultures that said, oh, we're not having enough children. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to pay people to have kids because there's not enough children. So the age, the difference between the elderly and the young is a problem. It's a bigger problem than people think, by the way. People think it's bad that people are having kids, but it's actually the other way around. It's a big problem to society if we're left with many older people and a shorter amount of younger people. The birth rate needs to grow. But people are, are, are thinking, and this is another whole discussion, but people think that it's a problem that there are kids in the world. So what's the other extreme? Huh? Too many kids. So the, what? They say too many kids. Never enough. Okay, never enough. That's, yeah, that's my, that's definitely my philosophy. So um, if they're good kids, then they're worth it. Look, in life, it's not something that you can impose. Even that value is not something that you could suddenly impose. It has to be something that's educated into the system. When you've got a young kid, it's part of their education that charity is a good thing. You can't suddenly make an, somebody who's making millions of dollars and force him to give money to charity. It doesn't work. Everyone's going to fight back against it. It needs to be a system that's part of my education. Part of, that's why education is so important. It's an investment for the future. We need to really think what our education is and what we're educating our kids. So here's the question. Okay. What are the three values that you think, and I wouldn't have known this if I wasn't preparing this class, so don't worry. But what are the three values that you think are important that need to be instituted, that need to be educated to make a healthy society? It says that if we don't have these, later on it says everyone's going to take advantage of each other and swallow each other alive. Not literally, but take advantage of each other. What are the three values that we need to have to make a society work or survive, like minimum, in order to survive? Go for it. A legal system. A legal system. That's one of them. Good. Yes. And the question is, why is that a value? A legal system is a value. And we're going to see actually a value, not just something so that we can survive. It's a value that needs to be educated. That a legal system's good. Okay. Like a court system's good. Okay. So that's one. What else? A legal system's good. Anyone else? Allocation of resources. Resources. Okay. What, would you say that there are some countries with less resources? It's very subjective. You know, 
There are some countries with less resources, but they're healthier, and there's some with more. Educational system. Okay, an educational system. But, you know, we're getting to a bit generic. I want to know what type of education would you think is necessary? Huh? <laughs> what do you think this is? A religious uh, event? <laughs> what do you think I am? Some religious fanatic? Right, so anyway. Um, right, what do you think we need? Should I tell you? A justice system is one of them. And listen to this. This is what it says. Rabbi Shimon ben Gamil Omer. Rabbi Shimon the son of Gamil says, On three things the world stands. Not what we said originally. We originally said there were three things that the world stands. And again, now, 18 sections later, we're learning again that there's three things that the world stands which are different. It says three things that the world stands, meaning without them, society can't exist. Al-Hadin is judgment, which means lezakot et to give merit to those that deserve it and to convict those that need to be, right? To hold them accountable. Okay, so that's a court system, a justice system. Al-Hayimet, truth, is a value that needs to be very strong. Without truth, we are doomed. Because who can you trust? The truth is a very important value. And you can't impose truth. Yet tell the truth. Well, I need to make money, so I'm going I'm to lie. Right? You can't impose truth. It has to be a value. Okay, so that's another education that we need to instill within our children is truth. Okay, and one more, shalom, peace. Okay, these are three very important rules that we need to have. That means that as a, from a young age, we need to instill within our children the value of appreciating a court system. I might not agree with it, the way it's running right now. But the importance of that kind of system is very important because if not for that, everyone will swallow each other alive. And the same with truth. If not for truth, if everyone's lying, that's like Sidon. It's like all the stories of the Bible right from the beginning where there was chaos. So if no one's true, no one's telling you the truth, who can you trust? Oh, he's lying, she's lying, they're lying, I don't know. Everyone's lying. You can't have a relationship. There's nothing works because everyone's lying. So truth needs to be a value that's instilled. And third is shalom, peace. What's peace? What does the word shalom sound like to you in Hebrew? What's the root of the word shalom? Shalem, which means to be complete. Okay, it says that just as God is, one of the names for God in Jewish teaching is shalom. That's one of his names. And that's because he is shalem, he's infinite. He's not a person like me and you, he's infinite. He's, a, he's involved in everything. So shalom actually by definition means to be complete with oneself. Now here's a very interesting concept. These three things, I'm going to tell you something mind-blowing right now. So these three things can be translated into ourselves also. Who's the real me? My hand? Is that me? I have a hand, just like I have a jacket that I wear. And when I move my, when I move my arm, my jacket's connected to my arm, but it's, it, would you say my jacket's me? My sleeve is me? So is my hand me? Or is it something I have? I talk about my hand. So who's the I that has the hand? Right? What's really me? Which part of me makes me? Brain. Okay, which part of the brain? There's many, the synaptic connections, you put them all together, the chemicals, the, the whole thing. What about my emotions? Don't they trigger my brain? Doesn't my brain tell me things which are different than what I actually do in action? Oh, so there's another part outside of my brain. Isn't the, don't my, doesn't my heart move around or, or not move around? That's bad. Doesn't my heart... <laughs> work differently based on different situations you know like when you've got anxiety or so the brain is triggering an emotion doesn't that emotion have a huge part of me and if i know how to control that then 
the me changes. But anyway, even so, take the brain. Which part of my brain makes really me? Who is the I? <laughs> okay. No, so, okay, there's a certain part of my brain if I touch it. It can affect all of, you know, there's something in here that if I affect it, oh, my, my stomach, my heart, you know, if I have an effect on that, then also I cease to live and work and function. Eventually there's no blood flow to my brain and that will stop functioning. So what makes the real me? Okay, this is a big question. And scientifically we might be able to ask it, but I want to tell you something from a spiritual uh, understanding. From a spiritual understanding, this is what composes of me. Okay, there's machshava, my thoughts. And that's where the neshama, the soul rests. According to Jewish teaching, your soul rests in your mind. And there's thoughts, speech, dibur. That's also somewhat of me, defines who I am, how I speak. And then there's one last thing, which is nefesh ruach haneshama. Nefesh is my actions, my blood, the actions that I do. Okay, so there's three different ways that I, all together, that expresses the me. That's what we understand is the three areas that the soul of the, the spiritual rests in. Okay, it's in my blood, which is, represents my actions when I actually do things. And that has an effect on me, my liver, my desires, my physical being is has an energy behind it okay you can call it that or my speech and my thoughts shalom needs to be in the way i think listen to this it's mind-blowing because it will change the way you work with people around you shalom we said there's three things that you need in every society and i told you that you need it in you also besides for in the society that you're in you also need within you these three things Shalom din and emet. Shalom is peace. Din is judgment, a court system. And emet is truth. Our rabbis say that no matter what I do inside here, I need to be in shalom, in peace. The way I'm thinking, I'm peaceful. Even though I need to tell somebody off right now, always I need to, be, I need to show some kind of anger. Shouldn't be angry, but I need to show it in order to maintain a healthy environment let's say so in action maybe but in my mind shalom always a person can achieve shalom always in his brain that's the place of the neshama and no matter what happens on the outside if you're able to train yourself you can always have shalom here then you have dibur which is speech and that represents is represented in the concept of emet which is truth that whatever comes out of my mouth needs to always work on this concept of emet. It needs to always come out in the way of emet, of truth. And then my actions, my actions, that needs to come out in a way of din. Meaning, before I act in any way at all, I really need to act and judge my actions completely. Should I be doing this or not? Like, really be strict with my actions. Because that's the last thing that needs to come out. So shalom is the mind is always peaceful. My speech, that needs to be always truthful. And my actions need to always be judged very strongly before I do them. And that environment will cause a very healthy environment in me as well. Not just in a society, but in a health. If there's no trust, then you don't have a society. If you don't have, these things are very important. Now, there are three things that we originally said were created to make this world. There's another three things we said right from the beginning in Pikeavot that the world stands on. Does anyone remember them? Eitan, do you remember them? Three things that the world stands on. We just said three things that our society needs in order to survive. Okay, Torah. Torah, yes, Avodah and Gemilut Chasadim. Originally, we said the world stands on three things. Torah is the study of Torah. According to Jewish teaching, 
according to Jewish teaching, the world wouldn't survive for a minute. That's why, you know, the world has different time zones everywhere. According to spirituality, in a physical way, we understand why. In a spiritual note, the reason is so that there's always words of Torah being studied. So that when in Australia, people are awake, studying, there's another place where people are quiet. So that there's constantly words of education of Torah being spoken all the time. That's the Benish Chai explains that that's the spiritual reason for why the world was created in a way where there's not daytime everywhere all the time. That's the spiritual reason behind it. It says that if not for the Torah, the world shouldn't exist. So spiritually, we need to have Torah in the world. We need to have prayer in the world. A rabbi say that there's no such thing as a prayer that goes empty. Every time you speak, there's an energy that's created and it never goes empty, never goes wasted. You can pray and someone passes away. How can it be? You prayed for someone to get healed and they, get, they stay sick. According to Jewish teaching, even if they pass away, maybe that prayer helped them in some way to not feel the pain as much. Maybe that prayer is going to help that person's neshama, his soul, after he leaves this world. But there's no such thing. And tefillah, it says that there's no such a thing as a tefillah, a prayer that goes empty. And prayer is a very important energy. We take it lightly. But when someone's in pain and you feel that there's no more hope, the person's, that's it. There's no, physically, the doctor said, that's it. There's no more that we can do. There's a moment, I've seen it. I'll tell you a story. I've seen it with my own, my own experience. One second, my camera keeps going off. Uh, I'll tell you from my own experience. There was once in Oregon, there was uh, someone that called me and told me that his dad was in the hospital and he's passing away. The doctor stopped. Uh, keeping him awake. They've pulled the plug and he only has a few hours to live. Please come Rabbi and guide us. We're stuck. So at 26, 26 years old, that's when I started my job, um, went to the hospital and walked into a very serious section and it was, I'm not the guy that can see blood or anything like that. It's not my thing. Uh, I'm sure it's most of yours as well. It's not your thing either. But um, I once cut my finger and passed out, you know, so that, that kind of, yeah, that's, that's what I mean, but it's not my thing. I'm really not built for this. But, uh, but anyway, I had to do what I had to do. So I went in and um, it was really traumatizing. There was someone who was, I don't want to get into too much detail, but he was lying down and he was trying to catch air. Almost like, you know, when someone's trying to plug his phone into the, Charger and it's our battery and he's trying, he's, where's the charger? My phone's about to die, right? But in physical terms, that's what he was going through, trying to breathe. He was, he was gasping for air and it was really loud. It was, okay, without getting into too much detail, but it's really, it was very uncomfortable. So I'm standing there and his family's there, his daughter's there, his son is there, his grandkids, one or two of his grandkids are there and he's trying to get, trying to, so I said to them, uh, when's the last time you guys did a prayer? They said, we've not done a prayer. We've not done anything Jewish for years. So I said, let's do something for him. You know, there's nothing else we can do. And we started, we started saying some prayers and singing some Jewish songs, you know, like spiritual ones. And we did some blessings too. And then they started to cry. And I cried because I've never seen something like this before. So I was crying and they were crying and they were calling up their family members saying, the rabbi's crying and I'm crying. And it was like, a, and the nurses came and they were watching and they were watching us sing. And I was, they remembered one or two songs that they remembered when they went to synagogue and they were singing those songs with me. And it was a very emotional situation. And after I started saying to Helim prayers after an hour, two hours, okay, I, I gotta go, you know? Uh, you know, things are, so they asked me some questions and then I told them I got to go. So I, I said, I'll be back and I'll be in touch. Please take my number. And I left that night. They called me up and they said, Rabbi, I don't know what happened today, but he's awake and he's fine. And he's going into, he's going into hospice for a while, but he, the doctor said he can, he should be better soon. 
everything flipped for the better. This is something that I saw with my own eyes. Now you could tell me, oh, it was a coincidence, but I don't know how somebody going from a case where they gave up on him and the doctors and the nurses said, that's, that's it. To suddenly that night being better, to, to me, that was mind-blowing. And I, I told them, no doubt, it's because of your prayers that you've not done for so long. And finally, you did something that's beyond your control and you cried with your heart. There's a pain. There's like a feel of no hope. And that, that doesn't go empty. It doesn't go anywhere. Our rabbis say that when somebody, by the way, this applies to all actions. When you try, you know that when you try and do something good and it doesn't work out, you're still considered as if you did something good. Let's say somebody went to um, do a mitzvah to help his dad and his dad needed a drink or something. And as soon as you get there, you give the drink and then your dad's like, oh, sorry, I have one already. And he has a drink. According to Jewish teaching, when you do good, it's considered that's a good energy that's remembered, even if the person didn't, didn't need it. Because that's, it's not about the person that's receiving, it's about what you become. And it doesn't go the other way. When it comes to bad, a bad thought doesn't get considered as an action, but a good thought gets considered as a good action, and it gets considered as a mitzvah. Very interesting. Very important to understand that when somebody thinks to do good, it's never considered as if you're lacking. It's a very, we, we, we never achieve everything fully, but we try. And trying is also an in, in spirit, in physicality, it doesn't matter, right? Somebody's in a race and they're training for years to be in the Olympics and they come third. So they came third, they never made it. That's it, you, you've lost it. You, you didn't come third, you, you didn't make it as first. But in spirituality, you tried and you went to your fullest. That's something. In physicality, it's either you make it or you don't. Either you made the deal or you didn't make the deal. Either you, survived, either you made the money or you didn't. But from spiritual terms, we don't look at things in that way. Physically you would, because that's how we define success, is either you got or you didn't. So spiritually, we, we look at things as based on the effort. You tried, that's also considered as something. So these are the three things that our rabbis say. Chesed, prayer, Kindness, prayer, and Torah, they keep the world standing. What does that mean? Spiritually, in life you need both. You need to do your effort physically, but also you need to put a spiritual effort into things as well. So spiritually, the world is surviving on those three things. Torah, avodah, and gemilut chasadim. Torah study, avodah is prayer and kindness. Those are the spiritual energies behind the world. Kindness is pretty obvious, right? If you're just working and taking, then your life doesn't have as much purpose. But when you start giving, then you are being like God. You are bringing God's energy into the world because that's what he does. Because according to Jewish teaching, God doesn't need anything. He doesn't take. So whatever you're doing by giving is giving purpose to yourself, really, more than anything else. When you give, you're really giving to yourself. Don't ever think that you're giving to the other only. Or rabbis say that when you give charity, you are gaining much more than the person that receives. If we would know, we would thank him many times before he takes our money. We thank him, to say, thank you, thank you, for, because he's giving us an opportunity to exist for a higher reason than just for existing. Give and take. You know, the, the, our rabbis say when you see a poor person, He's there for you. That's not selfish. He's there for you to give you... His poverty and his pain is for you to give you a reason to exist. That's not selfish. Because if everyone was wealthy and no one was ever poor, then you wouldn't be giving. And you'll just be taking. And that won't feel good. So the fact that there's someone that's needy, and it's not only poverty, I'm not talking about only physical... It says chesed, not only charity. I'm talking about other needs too. When somebody's able to give to the other, what you're doing is he's giving you life. Pain, poverty, difficulties are all reasons for life. 
Because if they didn't exist, then spiritually we would be empty. In fact, we would also be empty mentally also. What am I doing? I'm just accumulating. What am I being like? I'm not fulfilled. The way to be fulfilled within is to be a giver, just like God's a giver. That's, That's the understanding that we have. That doesn't mean that I'm thankful that there's poor people. But I look at poor people and I say to myself, I need to take care of this. It's my responsibility. He's there in front of me for me to be able to take care of. And when I do that, it gives me a reason, a purpose and him. Okay, so that's, that's another whole discussion. But we need to be in a healthy environment. What's truth? We said peace, truth and uh, a court system. What's truth? Let me tell you a story of truth. How far truth goes. You want to hear about greatness? You learn from our rabbis from the Talmud of what it means to stand for truth. This is a Talmud brought down in, in Makot, in the Talmud of Makot. It's brought down in Rashi and in another Midrash. Listen to this. This is the story. Rav Safra, a big rabbi, he had something that he needed to sell and it was very valuable. He didn't need it anymore and he wanted to sell it so he can survive. Somebody came up to him and said, I heard you're selling. I heard it's on Craigslist. You're the one that's selling it. I want to buy it from you. Well, Craigslist is not a thing anymore. It is a Facebook marketplace or metaverse marketplace. Uh, I heard you're selling that item. I want to buy it from you. And Rav Safra was in the middle of praying Shema. You know the Shema prayer? He was in the middle of that. And a rabbi said, you can't talk unless it's a king or something very important. That's different. But he was in the middle of saying Shema. And what happened? This guy comes up to him and says, I heard you're selling it for a thousand dollars. So Rav Safra, the rabbi, he was like, mm. but he was busy praying. He was like, yeah, I'll, in his mind, he was saying to himself, I'll, I'll take the thousand. Yeah, I'm going to sell it to you. In his mind. But the guy that wanted to buy the item thought he was saying, I'm not selling it for a thousand dollars. I want more. He thought he wanted more. Ten a thousand dollars, let's say. And the rabbi didn't answer him. He thought he wanted more. He said, okay, two thousand, three thousand, four thousand, five thousand, ten thousand. Finally, the rabbi finished with his prayer and he looks up to him and he says, I, in my mind, I agreed to a thousand. I'm selling it for a thousand. That's truth. Truth is not something that people see. It's not something that people know. It's in me. And it's powerful. I knew that you could, I could have easily said 10,000. By the way, halachically, in monetary law, if you'd study monetary law, which is deep, until you actually make the deal, until you actually, he's corner the item, until he actually acquires the item, you are not required to sell him. He's allowed to actually halachically sell it for 10,000. But there is a saying in the Talmud that you should stick to your words, stick to your mind. Stick to what you, your truth. There's a saying in the verse. What does it say? It says like this. Whatever comes out of your mouth, look after it. It's not a requirement, but the person who wants to be truthful is truthful within also. Not only when people are looking. That's a, to me, that's a greatness of truth. So those are the three values we need in order to survive. I'm going to move on to the next discussion and then we'll finish off. The next, we finished the first chapter, that was chapter number 18. That was chapter number 1, Mishnah 18. Now we're going to the second chapter, Mishnah number 1. Rebbe used to say, Rebbe was the one that wrote the Talmud, the Mishnah. He wrote the Mishnah, the first one to codify the oral law. He was born on the same day, his name was Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Rabbi Yehuda, the great leader. And he was so great, everyone called him Rebbe. They didn't even call him by his name. He was known as the Rabbi. He was like, he wrote the mission. So Rabbi, we're talking about around 2,000, a bit less than 2,000 years ago. This Rabbi, Rabbi, was born on the day, just to understand the greatness. He was born on the day that Rabbi Akiva was killed. You know, the Romans killed Rabbi Akiva in a terrible way. 
On that day, this great rabbi was born. And it says that when Rabbi Huda Nasid passed away, he told his family, I'm going to come back every Shabbat. Crazy. Every Shabbat, he came home from the upper worlds. And he's like, yo, what's up? And he did Kiddush with them. He sat with them. And then disappeared. He was with them every Shabbat. Until... The Talmud in Ketuvot says, until one of the neighbors saw what something's going on in there every Shabbat. There's such, such commotion. There's a lot of happiness going on there. I thought, I thought they lost the rabbi. A neighbor comes in and he sees what's going on. And from then on, Rabbi Huda Hanasi, Rabbi Huda the Great, never came back to see that family, his family. Because, and the rabbi, the Talmud says, because it's trying to teach us there's many people that are great in this world and it would make people feel uncomfortable that their, their, their family member is not as great as Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, even though he was very great. But we might say, oh, he's, not, he's so great that he's able to come back to life every week for Shabbat. Why isn't my relative able to do that? So in order not to offend anyone, he stopped coming back. In the upper worlds, they didn't let him come back. But so just a, whether you... A, you have to study the Talmud to see the depths of all the stories. And to me, it's, 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 Talmud's very all over the place. It's best for ADD. If you've got, if your mind, like me, if your mind's all over, it goes from one topic to the next. Stories, it's, it's great. Anyway, so, um, so he said like this. What was his value? What was his teaching? He said like this. He said, what is the straight path that a person should go on? What is a straight path? I'm going to translate it literally, not the English fake translation that they gave. I'm going to translate it literally. What is the straight path a person should create for himself, he says. Anything, he says like this, It's glory for the one that does it. It feels good for you. It is good for you. And it's good for all people around you. That's the right path a person should go on. What does that mean? And he uses the word, it doesn't just say, which is good for you. He says the word, which means harmonious for you and for others. What does that mean? Our rabbis explain, this is what Maimonides explained. It's a bit on what Jonathan was telling me before we started, actually. Our rabbis explain, you know, they say the golden path is the middle path, right? What's the language they use? Shvila uh, Zahav uh, in Hebrew. Shvila Zahav is like the, to go in the, to have a balance in everything, that's the best path to be on. You heard that before? Always have a balance in life. There's some things, by the way, you should never have a balance. What does that mean anyway? Does anyone, does anyone say, oh, I want to be a mediocre dad or a mediocre mom one day? Balance. I don't want to be extreme. I don't want to be a good dad. That's too extreme. I, I want to be a medium dad. Right? What does that mean that you want to be medium? You don't want to be bad. I don't want to be bad. Is that what you should say? I want a job. I'll be medium good with my job. Or I want to be the best with my job. Is that called extreme? People say extreme. Any extremes are not good. Is that always true? Wouldn't I want to be an extremely good dad? That's, wouldn't that be cool? What does it mean that the middle path is the right path? That's the question that Rebbe was asking. What does it mean when we say that being too much to the extreme is not good for you? In what way do we mean that? And he says, he explains, you know how you define that? If it's good for you and other people around you. For instance... You have money. Too much charity is good for who? Giving away too much of your money to everybody, too kind, is good for other people, but not good for you because you're losing your own money. You don't look after your money, invest your money. People think that the wealthy have all that money in their pocket. You know, uh, Elon Musk. He's got two, whatever he's worth, how much is he worth? He's, he's worth, I don't like to say someone's worth based on their money. It's ridiculous. 
But he, how much money does he have? Does anyone know? What's his estimate? 244. Wow, Google's quick, huh? $244. What Wi Fi do you have? Fiber optic. Damn. Are you connected to our Wi Fi? Because we have the. Anyway. 5G. Oh, there you go. So, um, uh, I, don't even, I don't even remember what he said. Over 200 billion. He owns over 200 billion. Is that in cash? No. no, he's investing it in his bit, and when he makes money, he puts it back into his company. The company he's, we said already: if you're not going up, you're going down. It's in business, it's in life, it's in everything. If you're not adding, you're retracting. You're going on minus. It's the same with business too. You've got to keep going up. So when it comes to a business, you can't just pull out all the money from the business. Bad policy. You'll lose SpaceX and Tesla and everything else that you're dreaming of. And Mars, if, if that's his dream still. So um, you, you get what I'm saying. He doesn't actually have that cash in his hand ready to take and use. He can't do that. But it belongs to him. He owns the company. He doesn't have it in cash. You get, you get what I'm saying, right? So when it says be careful not to give out all of your money, don't be too, chari- too much with charity. Because it's good for others, but it's not good for you. But then there's also someone, what's the opposite of a mefazran? Someone who gives out too money. There's another word. Do you know what the word is? Kamtan. Kamtan. Why is that making you laugh? Israeli culture. So Kamtan is someone who's stingy. He sticks too much to his money. That's also not good. Who's that good for? Or who do you think that's good for yourself? It's good for the Kamtan. But no good for everybody else around him. What's the right path? A perfect amount of charity. What's the right amount of charity? Anyone know? 10%. 10% up to? 20. 20. Why? Because the money that you're making needs to be reinvented into itself. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble. You're either going up or down. It's another whole discussion. But uh, anyway. So uh, you get what I'm saying. Middle path. Good for you and good for the people around you. That's called middle path. Humility, middle path. Feeling worthless, not good. Shval ruach, it means in Hebrew, they say. Shval ruach is low in spirit. You wear bad clothes, you sit on the street, you make yourself feel worthless, not good. Okay, you've got to make yourself always feel good. Get a nice haircut, make yourself feel good. But feeling too good, covering yourself with gold, and that's not good. Who's that not good for? It's not good for the people around you. What's not good for you? To feel too low. That's directly hurting yourself. Too high, feeling the best, wearing clothes that are way more expensive than everybody around you, dressing in a way or looking in a way that's much more beyond the culture that you're in, is too much that's bad for your surroundings. Because they feel uncomfortable with that kind of environment. Okay. What's the right way? Humility, which is the middle path. And that's what Maimonides says. Never to an extreme in terms of personalities and mitzvot. The right path is the middle. Where do we know this from? Our rabbis say that the body, right, is, there's 10 different energies that we have in our body. The svirot. Have you heard of the svirot? Anyone's heard of the svirot? Okay. The svirot is also, the body is actually split into three sections. One side, which is your right side, is called the chesed side. It's the side of kindness. You have, on, on one side is chokhmah, which is the part of your brain which throws out ideas all the time. It's like, oh, let's do this, let's do this, let's read this book. But no, nothing actually happens. That's the, the part of your mind that just keeps throwing ideas. Then there's the part of your body on your arm. On your right side is chesed, the energy of kindness. And then there's the net the, on your leg is what we call netzach. There's a name of energies in each part of your body in Kabbalah. Your leg on your right side is netzach, no end. It's energy that just runs, keeps going. And on the left is the other part. On the left of your brain is the analytical part of your brain. The ideas of your brain goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. The left side of your head says, wait a second, calm down. I can't just think too much. So there's the gvura, which is on the other side. Chesed's on one side, gvura's on the other side. The middle of your body is called tiferet, 
And that's the language that Rebbe uses. The width of your body is the middle path. What's the right path that a person should be on? The middle. Tiferet. It says that Abraham was too much chesed. He was very kind, but he didn't know how to deal with his own kids that were dangerous. He had a son called Yishmael that was dangerous, didn't know how to throw him out of the house. He was dangerous physically, trying to kill his brother. Abraham was chesed. He was very kind. That can be damaging if it's too, too kind. Then you have Gevurah, Isaac. Isaac was completely in restriction. He said to his father, Dad, I know that you have to slaughter me. He was 36 years old. And he says, Dad, please make sure I'm tied properly. Make sure that it's done well. He was able to take on real restriction. That's Isaac. And then Jacob was the middle path. Jacob was the balance of his two, his father and his grandfather, Abram and Isaac. Okay? And where did the Jewish people come from? Jacob. Jacob and his 12 sons are the 12 tribe, tribes of the Jewish people. By the way, this is very important for yourself. There's three tchunot nefesh. There's three types of personalities in the world. For dating, you've got to know about these. There's another whole class that we talk about this. But there's three tchunot nefesh in people. Some people are all Abrahams. How are you doing? Come into my house. They're what we call tov personalities. That's Abraham, Chesed. Come in. You know the people that light candles. They're very spiritual. Right? They're, sorry, they're not, bra- they're not Tov personality. They're Bracha personalities. They give blessings to everyone. You're so good. You're amazing. I bless you. You're awesome. You know those personalities? Those are what we call Bracha personalities. Those are the Abrahams. Everyone's good. Come in. My house is open for all. Those are bracha personality. Then you have somebody who's tov personality, who's an Isaac. Everyone's got this in them. Sorry, Tofa. There's a tov personality which is disciplined. A tov personality, not a tov. A tov, which means good. It could be tov. I don't know enough about you. But tov personality is very disciplined. His way of working is time. The alarm's going to go off at this time. If it doesn't, my day's ruined. Right? There's people like that. They, they are very timely. It's their instinct to be organized on time. And then there are people that are very Jacob personalities, which is into the depths of the world and science. The Chaim personality. They think about the world. Like when you have a conversation with them, they're all over the place. You know? You're talking about a chair and they're thinking about how it was created and what are the materials that were involved in it. That's the Chaim personality. It's very important to know what your personalities are. Which ones are stronger by you. The person that's too much chesed is not always... He has a hard time with what? Someone who's too kind has a hard time saying? Saying no. His friends say, hey, come, let's go to this party. And he knows it's not good for him. Hey, let's smoke that thing. And he's like, I don't want to do that anymore. So what does he say? He doesn't know how to say no. Because he always wants to appease his friends. That's a chesed person. That's a bracha person. They have a challenge with saying no. But they need to in order to survive. So everyone has their personalities. Tov has his personality. What is it? He's very disciplined. But that's also not good. You can't be around someone who's too disciplined. Do you know what's hard for someone who's very disciplined? If it doesn't go my way today, my day is over. Or if I woke up an hour late. That's it. I'm done. I ruined my day. My day is worthless. So a disciplined personality can't see themselves in any way. If, they, if they're somewhat offline, they can't keep going. And then there's the Chaim personalities that they have their thing. They're all in different worlds. They're balanced with Chesed and Tov. They're balanced with Chesed and Rub, but they're all over their world. By the way, when it comes to dating... Everyone has two of these more dominant in them. This is a teaching by Rabbi Noach Weinberg. It's based on this. Everyone has in him either a bracha personality or a tov personality, a bracha personality, a chaim. Everyone's got one of those in them. Me personally, I'll tell you what I am. I'm more of a bracha personality, which is like, yeah, what's up, what's up? And also chaim. My mind's all over the place. I'm thinking about all the worlds and spirituality and all those things. Okay, so my personality is Bracha Chaim. Everyone has 
two of these more dominant in them, you have to know what yours is and what you need to work on. I need to learn how to say no. It's my problem sometimes. I don't know how to have discipline. I need to work on that. When it comes to dating, you always want to make sure that there's one of those in your spouse and one of them that they can fill for you and that you can fill for them. Meaning one that they're lacking in that you have. It's not always a rule, but that's definitely one of the ways that knowing that these personalities actually match. So for instance, a bracha chayim can marry a tov bracha. Okay? A bracha chayim can marry a uh, a tov, a bracha chayim can marry a tov chayim because they all accompany each other out and they have all three in the relationship. Yes? Maybe you already said it, but is there a way to test to find out? Yes, you have a conversation with them and you find out what time they wake up, you know, in a nice way. You don't say, hey, what time do you wake up? But, you know, like, how does the day work? What is the way that their day works? If they're more of a night person, that's already an indication that they're more of a bracha personality or a chaim, then tov. Tov is disciplined. You know, they like to work out 4 a.m., you know, then get, get out on their shorts and jog and get things done exactly on time. And their emails need to be organized and structured. A tough personality can't be with his phone all the time, hates it. He needs to put it aside and, you know, a bracha personality always has his phone with him, which is probably a problem because he needs to be disciplined more. So everyone's got their things, but it's always good. I'll tell you what, me and, I'm bracha chaim. Shira's definitely more of a tov, uh, a tov, and she's also bracha chaim, and she's got all of them, but definitely a tov. She has tov, which is disciplined. Um, which is something I'm lacking, and we fill each other in that void. Um, I would say she's more of a tov chaim, but she also has bracha. So, but I definitely see more of a tov chaim in my wife. So we we accompany each other in those areas. But whatever it is, those are the three tchunot that we said. What's the right tchunah to have a balance in all three? To try and work on balancing these three. Jacob was the one that was in the middle of both. And that's the right way. Anyway... I hope you guys had fun and enjoyed tonight and it's nice to have you all. Thank you. And uh, thank you.